That's the most intense time for me with all the kids. It was very, very intense. Like that's when, you know, my prayers start increasing, you know, in intensity. And that's when the fear comes in. Are you going to be okay? Is the baby going to be okay? And that's when I like start holding my breath. We underestimate really the challenges. It's very hard. It's hard for you too in a different way. Obviously, I'm not comparing. I'm not saying, you know, it's as intense necessarily, but it's hard to see someone that you love very much in so much pain and being afraid. Giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being Jewish also has me exploring Judaism's influence on the reproductive experience. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. Welcome to episode 50 of the Happy Birthway Podcast. For this episode, I have the most frequently requested guest on the Happy Birthway Podcast, and that is my husband, Tovia. Welcome to the show, Tovia. Woohoo! Thank you. What an honor. Okay, so we did something really, really bad. Okay, because the first three episodes, the first, the actually episode two and episode three, we told the birth stories of our first three kids, and then we just left everyone hanging cliffhanger, um, and never told our fourth birth story. And every few weeks, I get another email: When are you going to tell your fourth birth story? When are you going to tell your fourth birth story? So I found it very appropriate to tell our fourth birth story in episode 55. Oh, I can't believe, could you believe I'm there? Wow, what an accomplishment. Do you like, do you like the podcast? I think it's phenomenal. I listen to everyone. I no, think you... I'm ready to give birth now. Okay, you're a liar. Do you like me doing the podcast? Do you love all the time that I spend on the podcast? I think you're doing a tremendous service to society. (laughs) It's like the sun, the moon, the stars, all the planets finally aligned. And we are here to tell the birth story of our fourth baby. And the difference with this fourth baby is that she was born after I was already a labor and delivery nurse versus the first three I was not yet. Um, And so... You know, that did change a lot of my perceptions. I also used a group of midwives that um, I had worked with already, and I was giving birth in a hospital that I had worked with. I actually had transferred pretty recently, um, pretty, you know, shortly before the birth, a few months before the birth. So when I delivered in that hospital, I wasn't currently working there anymore, but I knew the staff well and I knew my providers well. And the thing is, is when you're in this world, you just, you know too much. So like, it's hard not to be picky with everything. It's hard not to be picky with your providers. But overall, I think my pregnancy experience was surprisingly pretty calm. Not, I wasn't anxious. Um, I was working nights then. And I think that the kids thought that I was dying the first three months. <laughs> Do you remember that? No. That's good. You blocked it out of your head. I still remember it. Um, I was really not feeling well, and I can't believe I worked nights. I don't know how I did it. And um, somewhere toward the end, I switched. I was working per diem, so I had more flexibility, and I switched to days. 
but it was hard at the end, especially like I had sciatica and when you're a nurse in the hospital, you're running around, running, running, running. Like you don't really have time to sit down. There are a lot of days that we don't even get a lunch break, um, sadly. And I know that that's crazy. I think for many other professions, they would think that that's absolutely ludicrous that for 12 and a half hours, you literally do not get a 30 minute break to sit down and eat your lunch in one sitting. But that's how it is a lot of times in hospital nursing. Um, I just remember at the end of my pregnancy, I was like limping and crying inside and I would come home crying because I was in so much pain. But you know, when there's so much going on in the unit, you feel bad making your co-workers having to fill in for you. So those are my memories of working as a labor and delivery nurse and being pregnant. I'll never forget the moment that you sent me a picture of the positive pregnancy test. I remember sitting at my desk and when I got that picture on my phone, I think I almost fainted. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I was in such shock and it had been a long time between this, you know, big gap between Ellie and Naomi. They're five years apart. And when I got that pregnancy test with the, pos- with the plus sign, the picture of the plus sign, it was very significant. Yeah. Um, and then you proceeded to go and tell all of your coworkers. Yeah, so I was in a cubicle, and uh, the two people, I was surrounded by, well, one, two, three, about five people on all sides of me, and everybody wanted to know why I was about to faint. So I just showed my phone with the picture around, and they were all women, and they were all going nuts. Yeah, because you don't know how to hold anything in. And then when you came home and told me, I was like, why would you tell them all? And you're like, no, they don't know anyone, don't worry. And- right, and that little did I realize that the world of nursing is so small that the hospital you were working in then, there were a lot of mutual people, friends, and coworkers and colleagues between the two companies. Yeah, well, luckily... Um, Everybody kept quiet, nobody said anything. Didn't get back to your, to your job. No, it wasn't that hot of a news. No. Um, but after that positive pregnancy test, um, I started my prenatal care with a great group of midwives that I trusted and loved tremendously. So in terms of prenatal care, I had a really good experience and it was definitely very helpful knowing everything. Um, I don't know, I think that today I probably would be more anxious maybe because I've accrued more years of experience and seen more things. But surprisingly, during pregnancy, I, I wasn't like anxious about everything bad happening. And we were very fortunate. We we scheduled almost all the prenatal visits together. I was able to take off from work. It was close to my office. And we did it on my lunch breaks. So I was able to run over and meet you. And that was really nice. Yeah. yeah I felt was... part of things. And I think you felt supported. And it was it was nice. I was able to meet all the providers. Yeah. Yeah. It meant a lot to me. So... After the first trimester, I also have to just say one more story. When I was on shift one night, I like went to the bathroom in the locker room and started vomiting because I was super nauseous. I wasn't, I didn't vomit a lot, which actually I feel like, I feel like I wish I did. I was just dry heaving a lot. Um, And it pretty much was consistent with all the pregnancies where I was really nauseous for the first three months and just feeling super tired. And I remember a doctor was in the male locker room and the bathrooms were back to back and I guess he heard me vomiting and saw me coming out of the locker room and it was a little bit creepy but he approached me and he's like are you okay are you vomiting for a good reason 
It's cute. That's what happens when you work in OB. And then, okay, so we had three kids that were older already. The oldest was, I think, nine. Um, so it was a whole new experience because they were older. They were, you know, they were able to understand things better. Um, it was, you know, we had the oldest, our Sarva was nine years old and she was a girl and then she had two little brothers and um, she was very public to her friends and teachers that she was davening for a girl even before she knew I was pregnant. Um, and so then we, let's, let's tell everyone how we told the kids that, um, I was pregnant. Yeah. So they all wanted, a another sibling. Sarla was passionate about davening for a sister, but we wanted to, we wanted to break the news to them in a really cool, fun and significant way. And we did that. We told them that we were going on a special trip and that we had a surprise for them. We got them all in the car. And the drive to the sonogram was about 45 minutes. Yeah, so we took them out of school for the day and we drove to um, the ultrasound office with the maternal fetal medicine doctors. Those weren't my doctors, but they were the ones that performed the anatomy scan. Um, I was about somewhere between 18 and 20 weeks. And we took the kids with us into the car and we told them that we're going on a trip for a surprise. And uh, we have videos asking them in the car where they think we're going. One of them said they think we're getting a puppy. I don't remember the other the other suggestions. Yeah, but when we told them that we were getting a dog, they were like, that's it? They, they wanted something more significant. They were disappointed when I teased them that we were getting a dog. If you have been struggling with nausea and vomiting from your pregnancy, Emmaterm might be the answer for you. Emmaterm is a safe and effective anti-nausea wristband that prevents and relieves nausea and vomiting induced by pregnancy or motion, such as car and boat rides. It releases a low-frequency pulse that travels through the body's nervous system to the part of the brain which controls the stomach. This interrupts the nausea signal pathways. Emmaterm is FDA cleared and designed to put you in control when you need drug-free therapy with no worries about potential side effects. Users can choose from five levels of intensity to achieve the best effect. The unique wristband design holds the device in place and makes it easy to put on and take off. It is FSA and HSA eligible, comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and a one-year warranty. Go to emmeterm.com, that's E-M-E-T-E-R-M.com, and use code HAPPYBIRTHWAY for 20% off of your purchase. You can find the link in the episode show notes. Having a fussy, nonstop crying baby can take all the joy out of motherhood. Is it gas? Is it constipation? Is it colic? It's hard to know, but there is a solution for all of those. Happy Tummy is a waistband that comes with an herbal pouch. When you microwave the pouch and apply the waistband to your fussy baby, your baby is instantly soothed. That's thanks to natural formulation of herbs, including flaxseed, chamomile, lemongrass, peppermint, spearmint, and lavender. Happy Tummy is all natural, no drugs or drops. And not only does it quickly soothe your baby, but it smells terrific. Happy Tummy also has adult-sized waistbands, which mothers love for cramps, stomach aches, and back aches. Use my code HAPPYBIRTHWAY for 10% off your whole order on happytummy.com. That's H-A-P-P-I-T-U-M-M-I.com. Code HAPPYBIRTHWAY for 10% off. So we got to the office, and it's like this large medical office complex with like a lot of different offices Big waiting room i think one of the kids when they saw that like they realized it was a medical thing they were like is mommy dying 
Really? Yeah. I think so, that was one of the reactions. So then when we walked into the waiting room, it was a huge waiting room with like a lot, a lot of people because this is a large maternal fetal medicine high-risk doctor group. And again, I was just using them. Thankfully, my pregnancy was uncomplicated, but I was just using them for this anatomy ultrasound, which is a common practice. And so uh, Sarala, she saw a few pregnant bellies and she's a very smart nine-year-old. So she caught on pretty much right away. She was sitting there with a smile that was like too big for her face with like glee and excitement. And she right away was like, is mommy pregnant? Is mommy pregnant? And we just kept straight face and just didn't answer her. Till we got called into the sonogram room. I was like, why do you think I'm pregnant? Why do you think I'm pregnant? You know, they're, they're here for a, a different thing. And um, so when we went into the ultrasound room and the ultrasound tech started, we, we, told, we had told them, I think we had told them that this is a surprise for the kids, that they don't know what's happening. And um, so the ultrasound tech started to do the ultrasound and there's like a large screen in front that you could see everything. And um, Sarla right away knew. Oh, she knew right away. She knew as soon as she saw the sonogram going. Um, but the Nisano, that was the cutest. He was like, what, seven or eight years old? And he sees the screen and there's a heart beating there. And so we asked him, oh, he was like too little. I don't think he was really getting things. But Nisano, he sees a heart beating. We said, what is that? He says, it's a heart. And they heard the boom, boom, boom. Well, it was more like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And we we um he, he said it's a heart and i and he's like mommy's heart and then sarah was like no it's a baby's heart and then we you know we broke it to them and they were over the moon and it was cute it was cute to see their smiles and their excitement and nasana was i think a little bewildered and confused um i but, think the staff loved it they thought it was adorable yeah. Um, and you know, thankfully everything was okay. Like I think back, we were taking a big risk. Like what if God forbid something wasn't okay, but I, you know, we were positive and thankfully all of my other pregnancies had been uncomplicated, even though you never know, but you know, we were taking that risk. Yeah. We had a lot of fun with that though, with the breakout. That was awesome. And the, the ride home, the kids were in seventh heaven and talking about it. And it was a lot of fun. And, um, I, one other thing I remember that happened was that Nisano said, I can't wait to hear what song mommy's going to make up for the baby. Khani had a distinct, a specific song, an original composition that she would sing to each of our children. All right, let's get real here. It was like, such a cute hat on your head, such a cute hat on your head. Those were like the songs and like with, with you know, the kids' names. So Nisana was like, I can't wait to hear what song mommy's going to write for the baby. Um, and he turns to the ultrasound tech and he's like, for every one of us, my mother made up a new song. And the ultrasound tech is like, oh, wow, that's so beautiful. Like her eyes were watering and I'm like, you should only know what kind of song he's talking about. Um, but that's funny. It's funny that they actually like noticed that I made up a cute little jingle for each of them. Um, okay. And then, so, you know, the second trimester was the beautiful, wonderful honeymoon trimester. I got through it pretty fine. And, um, I remember I was giving birth in September. It was, it was not easy. I think September is one of the hardest months to give birth in because you like all summer long, you're in your third trimester and you're hot like anything. Um, and you're like at the height of your pregnancy. And then I remember uh, we had another one that was born in September. And then I remember giving birth and suddenly like leaving the hospital and it was winter. It was cold and then he just got a lot of cold and sick a lot. And um, 
you know, it, it was, I don't think with Naomi it was as hard, but the summer definitely, I remember, it was really, really hard. Not recommended. If you can pick, don't be pregnant in your third trimester in the summer. I'm not the one that was pregnant, and it was miserable for me just watching Khani go through it. I know. I feel so bad. The it was husband, very hard. It was very hard. The, the husband of a pregnant wife is like, just really has it so hard. I feel so bad for them. Anyway, so... Um, then that summer was my first summer being a camp nurse and it was actually great. It was fun. It was a change of scenery. It was different. And I think it was, it was super busy, but it was more low key in terms of like stamina and physical exertion that I had to have in the hospital. So I think that that was definitely nice. Um, and then I remember because I was a labor and delivery nurse, my midwives were like totally fine because it was far away. It was like a two and a half hour trip from camp to their office. And they were like totally fine with me just doing my own vitals and weight and all the things that, you know, all the things that you do at a routine prenatal appointment, like urine dipstick and everything like that. And I just called it in. So that was convenient. And then, um, okay, so it was the end of the summer. And of course, I was expecting to be overdue because I was overdue with the first two, even though Ellie was born at 39 weeks and we used to call him the, uh, my preemie because of that. So although I knew there was a high likelihood that I was going to be overdue, I still had this little glimmer of hope that, you know, each one got a little earlier, 41 weeks, 40 and four, and then 39. So I was hopeful. I'm like, maybe, maybe this time around, it'll be a little bit earlier. Um, and I also had what's called prodromal labor. Remember that? Like every time contractions would start up and they were, we'd get a closer together and they would start to get more painful. And every time we we're like, okay, this is it, this is it. And then they would peter out and stop. And I had this for like three weeks. Do you remember? It was like, it just plays with your mind a lot. It was very emotionally, um, you know, besides for being physically uncomfortable, it was just very emotionally messed with, messed with me probably mess with you too i hate the ninth month with all of our kids i don't sleep anytime you turn over in the bed i'm like it's time to go it's time to go do we have the backpack do we gotta go yeah and i actually you were so scared because the hospital ride was gonna be a little bit longer than the other it was 45 minutes away and i was like how are we gonna get there with you in labor how am i gonna drive how am i gonna maybe we'll take a taxi and i'll support you in the back with you but like it was terror for me that we were almost an hour away from the hospital that we were giving birth in. And I was like, nah, it's fine, I'll be fine. It actually was a 45 minute, somewhere between 45 and 50 minute drive without traffic. Right. With traffic, it could have been a lot longer. And I remember I had like a little diaper and I had a suction bulb and I had like a hat and sterile gloves, just in case, you know, again, perks of being a labor and delivery nurse. I remember like we would go a few times to the midwife's office because I really wasn't feeling well. Like contractions were really getting closer, but it wasn't the kind of thing where I didn't want to like show up at the hospital. You know, every labor and delivery nurse's fear is showing up at the hospital at two centimeters dilated, not in real labor, feeling like she's in real labor. So we went, we went a few times, even at, actually you didn't crash the car, but you, you gave it a nice side swipe. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that. I remember that. I think I drove perfectly each time. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. So, um, yeah, and, you know, nothing doing. Like, I, I was literally closed. Like, there was nothing doing. 
week after week. I remember I was like 40 weeks or more taking care of someone who was 37 weeks and in labor. And she's like, oh, when are you due? And I was like, uh, last yesterday or the day before. Um, I was like so hard, you know, but it was nice. All my coworkers were very supportive. They were very excited and they were like, all right, let's help you get into labor. I did all the exercises. I did all the things. I ate all the dates and the pineapple. I couldn't look at pineapple for like two years after that. Um, you know, went for, this is one thing actually that I did for myself this time around that I think really was something nice, um, and helped me get through every single week after I hit like 37 weeks, I would go for a foot reflexology session for 30 minutes. And first of all, my feet were like swollen and I already have varicose veins to begin with and they're really bad. And, you know, just being on my feet a lot at work. Um, and it was such a good, good, nice thing to look forward to every week. So at least that. Um, but anyway, needless to say, I was miserable and it was between camp and school, you know, like the end of August, beginning of September. And I remember people saying to me, you know, you just want to wait until the kids start school and then you can give birth. I'm like, I don't care what is going on in the world. I don't care if my kids are in school. I don't care what is happening. I just want to give birth. I don't care. So don't tell me that. And I remember someone came over to me. She was, she's like, you know, I'm so sorry. I was overdue at that time. And she says to me, she's like, I'm so, you know, I feel so bad for you, but like, I totally know what it's like because with my first, I gave birth at 37 weeks and everyone tells you that you go the latest with your first. So then when I was 39 weeks with my second, like I just felt like I was two weeks overdue. I'm like, yeah, no, not the right time or place to say this. And then you also have the people that say, get as much sleep as you can before the baby comes. Meanwhile, I don't sleep as well before, you know, when I'm pregnant, I, I don't, I don't sleep well. So then finally, like I was a week overdue and we were reaching a point where I just was emotionally beyond exhausted and um, medically speaking, the safe time to um, induce a pregnancy is somewhere between 41 and 42 weeks because the rate of stillbirth is increased after 42 weeks. So when I got to that 41 week mark, I scheduled an induction and it's funny because with my other three, not being a labor and delivery nurse and not having the knowledge of what an induction looks like, I um, I would have been terrified to have an induction. But this time around, I wasn't scared at all. I was actually like, I'm just so happy I'm not gonna be pregnant anymore. Um, let's just get the induction rolling and going. Um, and so we went in for that and it was like, I was really literally closed, you know? So um, we, we came in the night before, they did the cervical ripening and they gave me antibiotics because I was group B strep positive. Um, and then in the morning, I had made- One minute, wait, one minute, overnight. So we had a room, it had a couch. So I slept on the little couch and I played backup nurse too. We had a good nurse who was attentive. And I tried- Well, it was like all my friends, it was so fun. Right. I remember I came into triage, I took the belts, you know, for the monitoring and just by, by out of habit, because every time I walked into any triage or labor and delivery room for my patients, you know, the first thing I do is take out the belts for the monitors. So I walked into the triage room, I took out the belts for the monitors, put them on the bed and then I was like, one second. This is for you. This is for me. No, I, I get into the bed. <laughs> so... Right, and it was just fun. It was nice, you know. It was all my friends. Everyone came, um, and it was like a party. It was, it was fun. It's, it's an extra fun. It was one of the longest nights of my life. You had fun, maybe. It was one of the longest nights of my life. Why I slept? Why we gave you? you some. I think we gave you something to help you sleep. 
I don't remember. But yeah, like I wanted to make sure that I got good rest because I know what it's like. You know, some people come in for their cervical ripening and they've told everybody that they're in labor and everybody's bothering them. And it's like, especially if it's your first, it might not be another two days until you give birth, maybe even more. So I I just knew it was going to take a while and I wanted to make sure I got a good night's rest the night before. Okay, now in the morning, what happened? Well, so in the morning, I had gotten my antibiotics and um, I had made some progress already. And we were ready to start the Pitocin. And in this hospital, you, when you're in, they have a separate unit that's like for uh, high-risk antipartum patients and postpartum patients. And then um, they also take cervical ripening, so not the actual induction. And then once you're ripened and you're ready for the full induction, then you get transferred to the labor and delivery unit. So they took out the ripening thing because you had a... The Foley balloon. Right. So that was a, a mechanical ripening versus a chemical ripening. Right? Correct. Uh, yeah. No. Wow. Look at you. Mm-hmm. Brainiac. So then I was transferred to the room downstairs and had a nurse that I knew. So that was fun again. And we started the Pitocin. Right. And, um, you know, it took a little bit of time. I remember we were walking around the unit, the hallways. Um, I used to call it the Pitocin parade. Wasn't there a delay in getting the Pitocin? I don't know. It could be until a room opened up or something like that. We had to wait. Yeah. We were anxious. Like, what's going on? Let's just get the Pitocin going, you know? Yeah, but it could be, again, like just knowing from my end of things how the hospital wants to make sure that you're safe. And a Pitocin for an induction is never an emergency. It might be, you know, of urgent nature, but it's never an emergency. To me, it was an emergency. Like, get it going, you know? Yeah, I know. But they wanted to make sure that they have safe staffing. Right. So So you want a unit that, like, almost all the nurses knew you. All the senior nurses knew you, which was nice because after the Pitocin started, it was like going to be a couple hours that we had to wait and we were able to walk the floors and every other person you bumped into was like, Alex, how are you? You know, and it was fun. I have to backtrack actually and point out that this is the first birth that we didn't have a doula. We didn't hire a doula for this birth. And I think that I didn't feel the need because I had a very supportive team that I knew well, that knew me well. So it's not like there would be strangers caring for me. And happens to be in this hospital, the overall unit culture, the mentality was very supportive of I wanted, I didn't want to get an epidural if I could avoid it. And they were very supportive of, you know, just whatever the mother decides to plan for her birth. And um, they they really like I remember we would take when I worked on that unit we would take offense when someone had a doula with them because we and again the hospital had this setup that really enabled us to give a lot of support to the patients and we prided ourselves in being able to give support to the mothers who wanted a normal physiological unmedicated birth right and you had a great nurse who gave a lot of support but you had a, a very very amazing dedicated midwife who was there and really provided immense support besides the medical aspect she also provided a lot of yeah support yeah and you were good too i mean you're overall you're pretty good we have to do another episode about you know you talking to fathers about um you know or any birth partner about yes. things that they can do because you think one for the hills <laughs> no because thankfully you are you're good about that you're supportive so once um you know once we got the pitocin underway i had them get me the labor ball you know i knew all the positions etc all that stuff and i'm starting to get into like more active labor the best part was is khani was in bed and i was trying to distract her a little bit so i put a pillow up my stomach and i put on one of the hospital gowns and i took an iv pole 
and I started walking around looking and pretending to be a pregnant person. That was very, that was a lot of fun, especially when I left the room and went into the hallways. Definitely embarrassed my wife in front of her colleagues. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad it was fun for you. It wasn't so fun for me. You embarrassed me. So then I was on the labor bowl, getting into like really active labor and, you know, had the Pitocin infusing. Um, I was getting antibiotics every four hours because it's groupie strep positive. And then we get a phone call. It's like, I don't know, it was like two or three-ish in the afternoon and it's the kid's school. So I'm like, okay, you have to answer the phone because, you know, the kid's school is calling. If God forbid something's wrong. So you answer the phone and I hear you being like, okay, okay, thank you. Okay, okay, thank you. All right, all right, bye, bye. Trying to get, it was the school nurse calling us to let us know that Sarawa has a canker sore. Um, and in her left cheek and we should be getting Ambisol to help treat it. Like literally that was the emergency that the nurse was calling us about. I was like, my wife's in labor right now. I was like seven centimeters unmedicated labor and like she's calling us to tell us about this child's canker sore. Okay, granted, she didn't know that I was in labor, but it was just a cute story. Um, so then after, at a certain point, I remember I remember going to the bathroom and they're like just, just trying to maybe do all fours or sitting on the toilet and like it's got super intense and remember just really not being able to move like that was transition you get to this place where right before that you told them to turn off the pitocin because the contractions were coming too close together that, that was after actually once oh, okay. i got into bed it was close to pushing um i asked them because the contractions were, were close already and i said like can you just shut the pitocin off um, right because you wanted to do it unmedicated and it was getting painful yeah, and turns out that my IV infiltrated anyway because I have terrible veins and just the IVs are hard to put into my veins and when they are in my veins, they don't last too long. So shortly after that, the IV actually infiltrated. They had to take it out. But because I had no other risk factors and it wasn't an induction anymore. Um, we did without an IV. Right, and I got 10 units of Pitocin postpartum, which is via injection, which again helps to decrease the risk of postpartum hemorrhage. And that's what we do for women who don't have an IV. You don't necessarily have to have an IV when you're in labor. But that shot's kind of uncomfortable, right? It's a, it's intramuscular. Not, no? uh, after you just gave birth. Okay, you don't care, but... Yeah. Yes, after mm-hmm. you just gave birth, it doesn't... It's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so once I got back into bed, I remember... I remember screaming like, I just want this to be done. I just want this to be done. Um, and shortly before... I have to backtrack. Shortly before I got into the bathroom, my midwife broke my water. And again, this was like a joint decision. I was about seven centimeters or six centimeters. And um, I opted to have my water broken after I had had two doses of antibiotics um, because I was group B strep positive. And you do want to have at least four hours after the first dose of your antibiotic infusion um, for it to be safe for someone to manually break your water. If your water breaks before, you can't control that. But to um, you know, have your water manually broken, that is something that's best practice. First wait until you get your um, antibiotic dose and then it's four hours later. So I remember screaming like, I want this to be done with. I just want to be done. I just want to be done. I just want to be done. Then my midwife came in. She checked me and I was pretty close. I was like maybe nine centimeters. And uh, there's something that you can do that's called stretching the cervix. 
a provider could do that. That means that if a cervix is stretchy, it needs to be stretchy. Like first time moms, usually the cervixes are not stretchy. Um, but if it's, it's not a first time mom who's given birth vaginally prior to, and the baby's in a certain position and the cervix is a certain amount of stretchiness, sometimes it's possible that last little bit of cervix to stretch out. Um, it also depends on the provider's skill. Some providers are actually more skilled at it than others. And, um, you know, some providers are feel comfortable doing it. Some don't because the risk of doing something like that, um, is if a cervical laceration, which the cervix is highly vascularized um, with a lot of blood vessels and if it tears it can create like a massive hemorrhage it's really scary that needs to be repaired in the operating room but again that's why you have to use it with discretion judiciously in my case it was a safe thing to do and she offered that to me and I said yes please go ahead do it so one or two contractions later I was ready to push and I still remember that intensity of that pushing like I had forgotten it I guess after past babies and you know i was pushing and then i knew this is another tip for everyone with reducing perineal lacerations with reducing tears um like that's one of the number one questions that i get how can you help reduce your laceration reduce your risk of getting a laceration or at least the degree of it and that is when the baby's actually crowning that ring of fire stop pushing stop pushing unless it's an emergency and allow the baby's head to slowly, slowly stretch the area. I remember that's the most intense time for me with all the kids. I remember with Naomi though, that's the most fresh memory, most recent, it was very, very intense. Like that's when, you know, my prayers start increasing, you know, in intensity and that's when the fear comes in. Like, are you gonna be okay? Is the baby gonna be okay? And that's when I like start holding my breath. Yeah, yeah, we underestimate really the the challenges of the you know the partner who's not giving birth but who's supportive in um the woman giving birth because it's very hard it's hard for you too in a different way obviously i'm not comparing i'm not saying you know it's as intense necessarily but it's hard to see someone that you love very much in so much pain and being afraid especially someone who's got complications and things like that you know i've had women tell me that um, they went in for emergency C-sections and their husbands just sat outside absolutely terrified out of their mind, not sure if the baby's going to make it, not sure if the wife is going to make it. So, um, yeah, I just, I do want to acknowledge that. Um, and it's really, really helpful for me at that point, I'm Nida. So, you know, you can't give me the physical support, but I can tell you how encouraging it is for me. And I hear this from many women when um, their husband is davening, when they're praying, um, it really elevates it spiritually. I'm absolutely not in the headspace of myself davening or anything like that, but it really was very supportive to me and I appreciate it tremendously. And so I stopped pushing, you know, just panting and let the baby crown. Um, I remember being so impatient with that. Like whenever I do anything that's very physically exerting, like exercise, and feeling that way, I'm like so impatient. Like, I want it to be over with. Will I be able to tolerate this for much longer? But actually, when I had my postpartum follow-up with the midwife, she told me that she wrote in the in her note that I had excellent, um, excellent, excellent pelvic control. And she's a pelvic specialist, so that was a big compliment. I'm just just saying, I'm very proud. That's my uh, you know, mad skill that I go pelvic floor skills. <laughs> So, and then Prakasham, thank God she was born. She was beautiful, cried right away. It was a really, really beautiful experience. It was So that, that experience, I'll never forget. 
So I stand by the head of the bed, so I'm facing, looking towards Khani's feet. And I remember the midwife pulling Naomi out. And it was just such a surreal, like metaphysical, spiritual experience. First of all, the intimacy that you have during that moment as a couple, as a family, and the miracle of life and the spirituality it's a very powerful, intense, and beautiful experience. And it's a it's an absolute gift to be able to experience that together. I remember crying tears of joy and relief. We were crying together. And, and you never cry. Just laughing. I was crying and laughing at the same time. And it was just such a relief to see the baby coming out, to see that you're okay, to see that the baby's crying. And um, just it had been like over 24 hours of fear and of anticipation and this was just the culmination of it all ending so well i was just crying and laughing and it was just a beautiful experience and there's a beauty not to having family there not to having to call anybody just to take that time to experience that special gift of life that spirituality that joy it's very very intense and just to experience it as a new family together yeah, yeah, I agree. Sometimes I see families calling everybody like five minutes after the birth. And you listen, whatever floats your boat, if that makes you happy, then that's great. But I definitely appreciate having just that little bit of time to uh, enjoy everything. And she was a girl. She was a girl. Before we continue, I wanted to let you know about a revolutionary diaper brand called Diaper, D-Y-P-E-R. These eco-friendly diapers are made with viscose from bamboo, so they're soft on your baby's skin while still being extra absorbent to handle your baby's biggest accidents. Diaper wants to pass on the savings directly to you by cutting out the middleman. They ship your diapers to you for a low, predictable price with no extras or gotchas. Set your subscription and let them deliver the exact quantity you need. If you need more, they'll deliver them promptly with their exclusive SOS service. If you need less, send them back with a prepaid label. You can precisely manage your deliveries using their website or their mobile app. One of the products that I think is really cool is their Diaper Sense. It's a small sensor that you attach to your baby's diaper and it continuously monitors the temperature and humidity surrounding their skin. It will help you optimize your diaper changes, reduce overall diaper use, and may help reduce instances of skin rash due to prolonged exposure to moisture. All you do is snap it to the outside of the diaper and connect it to diapers app. It will notify you when number one or number two happens. Subscribe through the link in my show notes and you will get a free bonus diaper bag just for trying them out. You can cancel any time with no obligation, but still keep the bag. KiwiCo crates are a monthly subscription of crates that come filled with age-appropriate STEAM projects for kids, from toddlers to teenagers and even adults. STEAM stands for science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Every crate explores a different theme designed to spark creativity, thinking, and learning. All projects, inspiration, and activities are created by a team of product designers in-house and rigorously tested by kids. KiwiCo offers all different product lines spanning a variety of interests and age ranges. Panda Crate is for babies from 0 to 24 months. Each crate helps babies learn by doing what they do best, 
playing, exploring, and most importantly, interacting with the people in their lives. Crates arrive every other month and are filled with two months worth of content. So if you're trying to figure out what a developmentally appropriate way to interact with your baby is, Panda Crates will take the guesswork out. For an exclusive 30% off discount on your first month subscription, go to KiwiCo.com, that's K-I-W-I-C-O.com, and enter code LEARN30 at checkout. That's KiwiCo.com, code LEARN30 at checkout. We knew the gender, though. We found that with all our kids. Okay, when but- did we find out Naomi's gender? Oh, oh, go, going back to that, they actually wrote it in an uh, envelope, put it in the envelope because the kids were with us and we, we didn't tell anyone. Oh, right. Yes. So at the sonogram, we were going to find out the gender, but we did not want it announced in front of the kids. So when we brought the kids along to the sonogram, that was when we were finding out the gender. So we asked them to write it on a piece of paper and put it in an envelope. And then we opened that envelope when we got home, right? Yeah. And you, knowing that it was a girl, again, had to like mandatorily update your coworkers because God forbid they shouldn't know every single detail of my pregnancy. And you love to tell people things, so you couldn't tell anyone else that we were having a girl. So you told your coworkers you're having a girl, and I was really mad about that too. Oh yeah, and they did a baby shower for me, and they sent home a whole basket, a, a pink basket with pink gifts, and I had to sneak them into the house without the kids and the neighbors seeing, because they did the baby shower for me in advance of the birth. I was going to take off time for the birth from work, and... Um, I remember we waited until it was dark outside to sneak that big pink basket loaded with baby stuff into the house, into a place that the kids would not find it. Yeah, because your coworkers were so generous and kind and well-intentioned. They had no idea that they were the only ones that knew. Mm-hmm. And again, I was all scared that they were going to tell other, my coworkers and somehow it was going to get out. But um, they were very kind and generous and gave a massive pink basket with a thousand pink things. And you called me and on your way back from work and you're like okay i have a problem we live in a very small close-knit neighborhood with everyone's homes next to each other in our community and i was like okay somebody's gonna find out you know how it is you're terrified you don't want anyone to know what it is if you want to keep it a secret until the baby's out so um under the cover of night we quickly ran into the car we grabbed it as fast as we could got it into our house took apart the entire thing i put it in like I put the baby clothes in like containers somewhere in the attic or something. And then we took the big pink basket and put it in the top of your, your closet. Like it's like a walk-in closet. So you have to like walk in in order to see it. And so we put it on the top, top shelf. And afterward, when Sarva found out it was a girl, she said to me like a few weeks later, she's like, you know, again, she's too smart. She knows everything. I was wondering why there was a pink basket in the top of Tati's closet. She noticed, like she said that without us, without ever hearing the story. So that was funny. It was really fun to call the kids. They were my friends and let them know that we had a baby girl, especially Sarla, because she was like over the moon with joy. Before we found out whether it was going to be a girl or a boy, I would tell her, I'm like, Listen, you never know. It might be a third brother, so prepare yourself for that. We had friends that had that. And then I remember Nisano's reaction. He was like seven or eight years old. He's like, I was like, Mazel tov, it's a girl. He's like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then I was like, yes, I wanted a sister. That was cute. 
And so then I stayed in the hospital just for 24 hours, thankfully, because, you know, I felt confident going home knowing what to do. They were doing construction in the postpartum unit. And because it's a large hospital, I didn't really know the staff on postpartum. I only knew the labor and delivery staff. We were like our own two separate units. And I was just like so annoyed. First of all, there were these new nurses that really didn't know what they were talking about. And that's very frustrating when I'm a postpartum nurse and I know more than them. They stuck us in a room that had no windows because it officially the rule was was you can stay in that room for under 24 hours if they had overflow so they thought it would be a good idea to stick me in there and they didn't even have like a working call bell I had to like get out of bed in order to call out when when Naomi, yeah we weren't happy about that yeah but so could encourage us to get home as soon as possible exactly though. yeah so and thankfully you know the the postpartum recovery was pretty decent we were very lucky in that you had a lot of weeks a lot a lot a lot of weeks off more time off than i did i wasn't even getting paid for my time off at all that was like a huge 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 thing really made the entire postpartum experience so much easier and thankfully you're helpful around the house and um i mean i think it's crucial for for both parents to be off with the birth of a new baby the beginning especially and um thankfully you were helpful any other memories no just my primary memory is you know the birth itself and that beautiful those beautiful few minutes together and when when the baby's born yeah yeah it's very special um some people feel better when they're pregnant some people feel better postpartum i just felt better postpartum i'm very social and thankfully the weather was nice uh in the weeks after the birth it was, it was a very happy time. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Happy Birthway Podcast. Woohoo! And I hope to bring you back. There are a few other requests that people have. Awesome. Mazel tov and congratulations on 50, 50 podcasts. What an accomplishment. Looking forward to celebrating the next 50 together. Can't wait. And actually, I need to say that the Happy Birthway Podcast has reached over 50,000 downloads. We're up to almost 56,000 downloads. Really a milestone. Very exciting for me. So thank you, everyone here who listens. If you love the podcast, please hit the five-star button on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Even if you listen just on one, if you have access to the other, I would be so grateful if you can do that. Please share the podcast with a friend, just one friend. You never know if you'll change their life and impact their birth to be a more positive one. Check out Yulvadid Academy on Instagram and my website, yulvadidacademy.com. And I will see you next week. Thanks for tuning into the Happy Birthway Podcast. Head over to Yulvadid Academy on Instagram to continue the conversation. You'll find the link in the episode show notes, as well as links to any additional resources, products, and services mentioned here. If you love listening to this show, you can help it grow by sharing it with your friends and rating and reviewing it. To stay in the loop when new episodes are released, make sure to subscribe. Remember that your health needs are unique and require individualized medical advice. The podcast is not a replacement, and some of the information may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances. My mission is to educate you so that you can confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are simply not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience.